Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest, a returning guest. I think this is probably their 15th or 16th time <laughs> we've discussed a lot of different different subjects. Uh, his name is Ken Ami. He runs truefreethinker.com. So you can check out a lot of his posts and uh, his books are also available there. But we, I kind of was talking to him because he was on the Tinfoil Hat podcast. And I listened to the entirety of that where he was talking about a lot of biblical subjects. And uh, it was kind of a curious uh, interview as far as them, because I don't think they really kind of cover some of the stuff Ken does, but I thought he did a great job on that. And also we're going to kind of talk about a debate he had with Gary Wayne, who wrote a book, uh, I think it was Genesis 6 and the Return of the Giants or something like that. Yeah, Genesis 6 Conspiracy. Conspiracy and Return of the Giants. So he's written that book. So they were kind of talking about stuff that Ken and I had, one of our earliest inter recorded interviews was back in 2018 about that same subject. And if you're on YouTube right now, you can see uh, the cover of that book that we talked about. And it really is this dispute is, did the Nephilim survive the flood? And uh, we talked about somebody, unfortunately, Rob Skiva has passed away, who made it kind of a central theme in his theology was this kind of neat Nephilim concept that... Uh, supposedly goes through the Bible, but as Ken knows and has taught me, there really aren't that many references, and it's not that prevalent, uh, unfortunately. But some people have made uh, st stuck their flag on that belief and have influenced a lot of people. And I, and I think Ken uses the right term, which I agree with. This is pop Christianity or kind of pop theology, but he can talk more about that. So Ken, Ami, are you there? Yes, sir. Thanks for having me back. Pleasure awesome. as always. Yeah, likewise. Always a pleasure. Now, now interestingly, let me just point this out. I just emailed Gary Wayne today to see if he wanted to do another discussion on angelology, because the book you're showing right there, it's just about the angel view of Genesis 6, and he, he and I agree on that. So we weren't discussing that, except that he uses the phrase seraphim angels, which is just a category error. There, there's no such thing. And he claims that seraphim were reptilian, which is also just, there's no such thing as that either. So hopefully he'll be willing to uh, have a discussion about that and we'll iron that out. So, so I yeah, have the wrong, I have the wrong book cover. I just realized. Yeah. You need to look for Nephilim and giants as per pop research. There we go. There we go. I have the wrong one. You have so, so many books. It's tough. Make <laughs> the discussion on tinfoil hat with Sam Tripoli was interesting because yeah, I was probably uh, addressing issues with them that they generally don't cover. And whenever they do, it's kind of like your standard um, pop research-based uh, conspiracy theorizing, which I also term uh, neo-theo sci-fi. And so they kind of just get people who are going to um, basically um, give them a certain kind of theory. Now, I'll give you an example. I've listened to... Uh, show by Gary Wayne, where he takes his all-encompassing uh, grand narrative of a theory all the way from a supposed gap in Genesis all the way to Revelation. And it was absolutely fascinating listening to him. The only problem I had is that I could literally write an entire book just correcting the errors he made during that one presentation alone. So that's part of what uh, needs to be done. It, that um, Well, let me put it this way. I 
give Gary a ton of credit for being willing to debate this issue because as far as I know, and I've been around the block in these circles a lot, as far as I know, none of the pop researchers have ever debated anybody on their nephrology or giantology at all whatsoever, period. Uh, except for TJ Stedman, who I also debated, but he's kind of like me. He's nowhere near as popular as uh, Gary Wayne and the other. Right. Steve Quayle is another one. He's on, on podcasts all the time. Yeah. And so uh, I give him credit for that much. And whether it's with me or somebody else, I think we need to start pushing back on these guys that literally make their living off of weaving tall tales and asking them, or if not demanding, that they actually lay their ideas out and where they can get some pushback or be challenged. Because I'm realizing the more popular a person becomes, the more they are invited to present lectures, the more they're invited onto all these shows, uh, but it's in the format of a platform for them to just say whatever they want, completely unchallenged, and that's the end of it. <laughs> so that's, that's why someone like Gary can give a whole talk and sound really, really fascinating and like he knows what he's talking about. Uh, there's a lot of areas, of course, that he does know what he's talking about. But it's a different ballgame when you have somebody live sitting in front of him saying, well, hold on a second. What about this? So I'll give you probably the, the gigantic conclusion that came about from the debate. He was referring to Nephilim as giants. He was referring to King Og of Bashan as a giant. And I just simply asked a very, very basic question. How do you know how tall they were? And he had to admit that he didn't know. So then I just made a very, very basic point. Well, then you can no longer call them giants. But he stated outright, it doesn't matter that he doesn't know how tall they are. He's still going to call them giants. So, I mean, that's really unfortunate that you could have such a big, I mean, that's not like abstract theology there. It's just very, very basic stuff. And that he refuses correction, even on something as basic as that you can't refer to somebody as a giant if you don't know how tall they were. Right. And I think he said on the intro of that debate that he was a literalist, too, a very literal interpretation of the Bible is his outlook. And you have a different one where there's a lot more nuances, teachings, uh, you have figures of speech and things like that, which I think um, is a variance in a way of uh, interpreting the Bible, right? Well, here's what I get a kick out of it. Um, somebody made this comment. I grant Ken for having the strongest minimalistic and Bible-based arguments in this debate. <laughs> I got a kick out of that. Now, this is what, what? Oh, sorry. This comment. Have you seen this one? They think you look like you're in a hostage video. He, oh. he might be because he has to go somewhere so his family okay doesn't I, make any noise. Is it okay if I respond? Okay, that's okay. <laughs> you're gonna hear it. <laughs> I did not uh, force him to have this conversation. I'd like to state for the record. Yeah. <laughs> uh, William anyway. Ramsey, you know some guys, huh? You yeah. know some guys. You better, get over here. you better be ready at four. So one thing is, 
if you recall, and this is a very well known about Kerry, he calls himself a Christian contrarian. And he stated that at the opening of the debate. Which, that's why later on, I said that I was being a contrarian. And he said, well, I'm a contrarian too. But if you notice, I'm the one who was actually comporting himself as a contrarian. Because I was the one really, really digging and pushing and asking. And it seemed like he was really just taken aback. I came this close to asking him live right then and there if he's ever had his views challenged. Because it seemed like he was taken aback just because I was pushing back and asking questions. I mean, honestly, that's what it seemed like to me. And that's why I'm saying I need to be chillically. Uh, but the thing about his um, view of the Bible, I don't know if he's straight up strict King James only, but it certainly appeared that way because no matter what we were talking about, he would base his views on, well, the King James says this, the King James says that, the King James says the other. Uh, so that, that, was, that may be part of the issue that he's having is uh, stuff like, well, the King James uses the word giant, and we know today, that, that's one of the issues, right? We know today how we use that word. You know what, you know what I'm getting at, right? Right. So I was pointing out, so let me put it this way. Something that anybody who's reading on giantology or nephrology needs to do is to notice that the pop researchers tend to use the word giant without ever defining it. And they'll use it to m imply different things without letting the reader know along the way. By the way, now I mean this, now I mean that, now I mean the other. Which is why I, I actually urged Gary during the debate, please don't use the word giant, just tell me what you're talking about, <laughs> right? And so the issue became that, uh, for instance, I can think of five or six different usages of the word giant, right? It can be symbolic, like, I don't know, sure. Elon Musk is a giant of business. Right. Well, you don't think there's anything unusually tall about him, it's just, right? Um, some people mean uh, subjectively unusual height. How subjective? Well, it's vague and generic. Some people mean inches taller. Some people mean feet taller. Some people mean entire body lengths taller. And then biblically, if you're appealing to the word giant, you're either talking about Nephilim or you're talking about Rephaim. And in the Septuagint, maybe you're talking about Giborim. So <laughs> how is the average reader or listener supposed to know which one of those you mean when you use it. Right. So that's another area we need to push back is to constantly ask, what do you mean by giant? Now, it turns out what Gary meant is subjectively unusually tall. So when I was uh, pushing back a bit, a lot, on that, that may be the strictly modern English usage of that word, it's not the original meaning or definition of that word, because it comes from the Greek gigantes or gigas. Now, let me, let me point something out that's really interesting here. I was looking at the Douglas Harper Online Dictionary of Etymology. Okay, that's not written by like an, an anonymous uh, teenager in their mother's basement, okay? This is academic. 
And for the word giant, this is part of the etymology it gives. The Greek word uh, here talking about gigantes or gigas. Okay, the Septuagint uses gigantes. The Greek word was used in Septuagint to refer to men of great size and strength, hence the expanded use in modern languages. In the English, very tall and unusually large person. Okay, now let's digest that for a second. So it's telling us that the way that the Septuagint used it was to identify men of great height or men of great size. And that's why in English today, it's used a very tall, unusually large persons, which incidentally is what I was explaining to Gary. The English word giant comes from gigantes or gigas. But since this is a, we were doing a Bible um, debate, Bible-based debate, then it's gigantes in any case. Now, the Septuagint uses the word gigantes of Nephilim and of Rephaim and of Giborim. Right, so three different types of personality, personages. Well, right? yeah. Now, let's start there. Those are very different words, right? Nephilim, Rephaim, Giborim, right? Nephal, Rapha, Gibor. It'd be very unusual in a language that three very different words actually mean the same thing. But let, let that go for a second, because the point isn't the Hebrew, really. It's the way that it was rendered into Greek, not even translated, rendered into Greek. And I, I hope that's we understand that when it comes to translations, there's such a thing as formal versus dynamic translations. So a formal translation would be like word for word, very literalist, even if it makes the reading a little difficult because it being so literalistic. A dynamic one would be closer to a mild paraphrase where you might not get every word rendered, but you're going to get the meaning made a little clearer. So, okay. Uh, Nephilim, can we say that they were men of great size, very tall, unusually large persons? Gary Wayne himself admitted that we do not know how tall they were. Okay, So that's the end of that. Now, Rephaim, can we say they were of great size? Very tall and usually large persons? No. Well, uh, King Og of Bashan was a Rapha, and Gary Wayne admitted that we do not know how tall he was. Now, you have subgroups of Rephaim, such as the Anakim. Uh, so think about it like a tribe and a clan, right? What we're told about the Anakim in Deuteronomy 2 is that they were, quote-unquote, tall. Okay, now... The word tall is as subjective as the word giant, or for that matter, the term great size, very tall, or unusually large. Those are all vague, generic, and subjective terms. So this is the key, is the cultural context and the historical context and the anthropological context, which is that they were tall compared to the average Israelite male of those days, who was around five feet, maybe five three. And we talked about this during the debate. So therefore, someone who's like six five, for instance, 
yeah, that would definitely be a tall person. No. So you see how subjective now. Right. What about give, how about, so what about Giborine? Well, a lot of the pop researchers do talk about the Giborim as if they're a people group, but it's not whatsoever. Uh, Gibor is just a descriptive term referring to might or mighty. So, um, <laughs> does the word Gibor imply great size? No. Very tall? No. Unusually large? No. Uh, strength? Yeah. Okay, maybe. I mean, of course, the person could be mighty. Uh, even if they're a weakling, right? If they have a lot of money, for instance, but whatever. The point is, here we have a, an academic resource telling us gigantes in the Septuagint refers to great size, very tall, and usually large, and we see that it fails uh, all three tests. All of them it fails. That's the kind of uh, problems that we're dealing with and researching these issues that you look at a source that's supposed to be reliable and it's not whatsoever. Right. And so what, what they're transposing is the word giant onto the Nephilim, Giborim, Rephaim. So those right. will work together when they're not, they're completely separated. That's the problem. Right. And that was one of the, for me, one of the takeaway points from the debate is when Gary reached back into his bookshelves pulled out a modern-day grammatical English dictionary that's going to define a word isolated from context. He read the definition, and he had one of these, like, aha moments, like I showed you. And, and I, God bless him, with all due respect, I was pretty stunned that I had to explain to him, you do not use a modern-day grammatical English dictionary to define what a Hebrew word meant when it was used three and a half millennia ago. Again, this isn't abstract theology. This is just basic level common sense. And oh, anyhow, that's why these discussions need to happen. So people can ask like, um, Questions ranging from very basic to complicated. I mean, this is the level of stuff that we need to get into with people who literally make their living off of this stuff. And mostly they're able to do that because they're not challenged. And incidentally, I can tell you of three of these pop researchers who not only don't want to discuss it, they don't even want to discuss discussing it. Because I'm interacting with them back and forth, and the minute I brought up, hey, how about we have a discussion on this? No more replies, done, over with. It's that's, well, tragic, so that's, you know? Right, so that's Dwayne's credit, but wasn't he on Tinfoil Hat before you, like for within the last mm -hmm. month? If I remember. So, yeah, so this is very timely. I think that all fits together. He's on, you're on, yeah. you actually are talking on your points of the Nephilim. I didn't listen to his interview. I should have now in retrospect. But uh, your debate then fits one, two, three. It fits together to have all those together. But see, he wasn't on there to be challenged. He was on there just to have his spiel. Um, just yeah, like I mean, me. When I was when I was on Tidpo, I wasn't there to be challenged. I was just, I always asked questions. But it was more like so they could see what I thought about something. Right. That there's was definitely, right. There's definitely huge distinctions between a guest and a debate. Like if yes. you invite somebody on, you want... It's like inviting somebody to your house, be nice. Incidentally, or... yeah, that was my experience with the atheist, uh, David C. Smalley. Uh, we were having an interview. He was interviewing me. 
But very quickly, I figured out, wait a minute, he's not just interviewing me, he's actually arguing against me. And that, in my mind, that now it's a whole different ballgame. Right, so he didn't <laughs> tell that, you that. It was an interview, but then it was, yeah. Yeah, and then I started uh, pushing back, and boy, he he did not. He became like increasingly emotive, increasingly incoherent, and ended up running away, straight up. Uh, I have a list. You know, I've been doing interviews for like 11 years now, being mostly interviewed, being interviewed, not interviewing people. I've got some good stories. I walked away from an interview last month. The guy started... He just, it was, I was actually the guest. I was actually the interview and he was the guest. He talked most of the time. I was like, is this the relationship? And then I had an interesting one with um, Truth Frequency Radio. It was Gio and his girlfriend. And I was talking about Prophet of Evil back in 2010. And uh, they ambushed me with EA Coetting of Become a Living God. Do you know who that is? No. Okay, well, it's good that you don't. He's a Satanist. <laughs> he was also an ONA member, but his information, somebody took that, was on his message board, EA Coettings, just this year, and I wrote about it in, in Global Death Cult, and he murdered two two women in uh, oh, in England. Yeah, so real bad, but uh, it was interesting. I mean, that's I mean that's how many interviews I've done, but they ambushed me with, with somebody, which... Uh, mm. It's really something else. And I think that interview, they I've tried to get a copy of that interview. I can't find it. So if anybody out there can find Truth Frequency with William Ramsey and EA Quetting, I would I'll give you I'll give you free books if you can dig that one up from 2010. Mm. Well it's actually a very important historical mo historical moment because Coetting just it's not his real name. I think his name's like David Lawrence. But he got um kicked off of YouTube and He's getting kicked off of social media because of what his influence was. Mm, wow. Anyway, sorry, that's kind of a digression. But I think that it is interesting in the kind of new media how a lot of people don't do debates. They're, 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 there's a very passive thing of an interview, a guest. And right. I did, just did one with uh, Roberta Glass kind of analyzing um, Amanda Knox being interviewed by Rogan. And wow, he, he wow, he, uh, you can listen to that too on. Mm. my show but that was a really fascinating one he was very passive anyway yeah you want to take some questions you are you ready well, for questions okay so i'm gonna uh pick one I, I saw that was interesting yeah please do go ahead from uh bear um <laughs> bear took us <laughs> okay <laughs> it's <laughs> it says what about giant elks giant sloths giant reptiles and half meter long dragonflies isn't that proof that the world used to be weird in a way some time ago? Now, let me point out something I had to point out there in the debate, which is just because I'm pushing back um, doesn't mean I don't believe anybody who's taller than average has ever existed. I mean, who would even conceive of denying such a thing, right? But the point was that if Gary Wayne is going to make his living off of claiming that it's theologically accurate to refer to the Nepal and, and Og as giants. And all I did is ask him how you know, and he says, I don't know, but I'm going to keep doing it. That's a whole different level ballgame. And so my point was, I can't, I also can't say how tall they were, because I also don't know, nobody does. So what if they were like, whatever, let's say he was average, he was saying maybe 13 feet for Og. My opinion would be good for Og, good for him. I hope he enjoyed it. I mean, I don't have no problem with that whatsoever. I don't believe it because we don't know it. But 
my point isn't just to deny it. My point was that if we're going to say something, let's make sure we can back it up. And what we saw more so than not is that Gary was just unable to. And it's not just me saying that. You can watch the debate. So then what about, well, um, it is true, of course, that we find various very large animals in what we would call pre-flood. So, for example, there's some very, very, very large dinosaurs. Uh, but the average dinosaur size was that of a sheep. There was just a few that were very, very large. And so I, I do think that uh, due to barometric pressure, which means increased oxygen, that some animals were supposed to or be able to grow a lot larger. So does that mean that what everyone from Adam down to Noah was on average a lot larger than we are? Maybe, maybe not, but we just don't know. We can say it's a possibility, but we can't say it was the case. See, that's where I'm at is sure. I don't mind speculating as long as we admit that's all we're doing. On whatever level that we're um, yeah. sorry there's a better one this is yeah <laughs> it's what conspiracy or coincidence is that the name of the uh host jack it's, uh yeah jack uh conspiracy or jack uh j-a-c is the way he spells it uh, for his show okay. so anyhow that would be my answer is that that's the bottom line we don't know maybe so but that's all we can say as far as i know did you happen to hear his interview on Tinfoil Hat? I don't recall because I've actually been listening. I mean, okay, I've read a lot of Wayne's articles. I read his book. I've listened to a lot of his videos. And recently, of course, just to prepare for the debate, I listened to quite a few more. So which it was which, I don't know. I just grabbed the ones that seem most relevant and listened to them. So I don't quite recall if I listened to that. It's, it was you. I, I think it was fairly in, new within the last couple of months. So because uh, I did it, I need to go back and listen to that. But uh, um, <clears throat> I mean, but see, now you can listen to it with new ears and you'll be able to pick up a lot more of. Wait a minute. He's just asserting that. Wait a minute. He already claimed he didn't know, but he's playing it off as if he does anyway. Now, you'll be able to be a lot more conscious of what's going on when he speaks, which is that he sounds great, and he does. He's a great storyteller. I, there's no question about it. But if he were to just tell us, look, I'm making up fiction, that'd be awesome. But unfortunately, he claims to be doing serious Bible-based theology. And so that's when people like me need to push back and say, well, okay, let's, let's talk about it if anyone's willing to. Right. So they've gotten away with it for a lot. And you, like you said, I mean, the, we can go back to the cover of your book. There's a lot of people, uh, you know, you found these foundational things of the Nephilim surviving the flood with no evidence, right? Right. It's a narrative. It's basically, and you remember, we've discussed this before, that in, in that book of mine, um, Nephilim and Giants, as per pop researchers, I actually give a chronology of who can be pinpointed as having really started this narrative and then who picked up on it and popularized it. And then the next, and then it's just all these guys are basically 
just doing a copy and paste job from what was first really popularized back in the 90s. Everyone that follows is just kind of parroting the same narrative. And now, if if you want to be like me, you're going to do what I'm doing, and you're going to be unknown and rejected and ignored. But if you want to be the guy that gets invited to lecture at, at Nephilim conferences and invited to every conceivable show, then you're going to just go with the narrative because that's what sells. Right, and I think exactly. that's very important con concept is the kind of financial benefit what's selling, right? So um, instead yeah, of, kind of having an integrity towards the text of the Bible, which is really paramount, very important. Some, I would say that these pop researchers are um, a little disingenuous, in my opinion, towards their exegesis, biblical exegesis, and for financial reasons and, and, and popularity well, reasons, tickling people's ears. So the, the line I would draw is when I say stuff like, if you want to get popular, you're going to have to just accept the pop narrative, is not that my claim is that I know their motivations and I know they're just in it for the fame and money. I, I don't know any of that because I don't know their thoughts. I don't know their motivations. I, I can only speak to what they're doing and saying. So I don't doubt that most, if not all of them, are genuinely interested in accurately representing God's word. It's just that, especially when it comes to this issue, one can make just one or two very basic level errors at their premise, and that just is like a row of dominoes. Uh, next thing you know, you begin with a faulty premise, and so your next point is, is fallacious, and so is the next one and the next one, to the time you reach the conclusion, and it's like, no, that, that actually does not work whatsoever. And I'm finding that's very common. So, for example, uh, three key features of the pop nephilology narrative is that they were post-flood Nephilim, that Anakin were related to them, and that Nephilim were very, very, very tall. Those are three, okay? You will only get that out of one single verse in the whole entire Bible, and it's a verse that merely records an evil report stated by unfaithful, disloyal, contradictory, embellishing spies who make five assertions about which the whole entire Bible knows nothing, and who contradict Moses, Caleb, Joshua, God, and the rest of the Bible. So you're either going to go with some of the most unreliable guys in the entire Bible, whom God rebukes, by the way, or you're going to say, Wow, those three key features of, of pop mythology, they actually don't work. We, we must reject them. Right. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's really an incredible thing because there is, it's almost like its own genre is uh, um, like pop theology or uh, it's almost like something like it would be in vampire lit or something. Like there's a whole new genre of, teen romance vampire lit it's like pop theology lit oh there's the whole genre of nephilim romance for real oh yeah just go to any site that sells books look up nephilim romance you're going to be really? like there's dozens and dozens and dozens i had no, and dozens. Idea. I had no idea yeah wow. wow that's amazing incidentally uh, not oh that sorry that's an interesting point to bring up many of the pop researchers have also written Nephilim fiction. 
So really? that's fascinating. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Uh, Steve Quayle, Ellie Marzulli, uh, Rob Skiba. Those are the ones that just off the top of my head. And now I find that that was obviously a very easy transition for them because when they claim to be doing real life biblical theology, they're actually just doing sci-fi already. So to, to, to just write straight up fiction, it, I mean, they're right in the wheelhouse already. It's fascinating how that happened. And you and I have done another show, I think, The Rise of Theo Sci-Fi. Um, a lot of interesting ones. I just posted another one we did in the past with your buddy about uh, the rise of uh, gender fluidity or what is it? Tra uh, gender is it transgenderism. We just did one, so I uploaded that. Um, yeah, I mean, and you kind of caught, I mean, it sure looks like, in my opinion, you kind of caught Steve Quayle pretty much cutting and pasting from one book to another a little bit, right? Oh, he doesn't want to answer you. Yeah, that was very unfortunate. Um, as I was researching for this book, Nephilim Giants is for Pop Researchers, and um, maybe you could read the subtitle. It's covered up right now. And it's really long. I haven't memorized it. <laughs> There's a lot the of names there. And you go yeah, through those in detail, yeah. Yeah, the subtitle is A Comprehensive Consideration of the Claims of I.D.E. Thomas, Chuck Missler, Dante Fortson, Derek Gilbert, Brian Gadawa, Patrick Heron, Thomas Horn, Kenneth John oh, Ken Johnson, Ellie Marzulli, Josh Peck, C.K. Quarterman, Steve Quayle, Rob Skiba, Gary Wayne, Jim Wilhelmson, et al., by the way, because I covered a lot more, but they're just slightly less well-known. And so... What was the, um, well, I mean, I think we were just kind of talking about how many, how big this kind of field is and maybe it's popular. I mean, I think, oh, I don't know what the book sales are really like. It was something very specific that you mentioned just oh, before. Oh, I mentioned I, and about him, him cutting. Ah, uh, the plagiarism. Mm -hmm. So as I was researching this book, um, I thought I discerned that I was reading the same thing in a book by Steve Quayle as I had read in a different book. And so I started um, really putting the two together and looking at them. And I was thinking, okay, yeah, it looks like Quayle just copied and pasted a bunch of this other guy's book without any attestation. So he's passing it off as his own. Now, before I said anything publicly, I emailed Steve through both of his websites, just asking him, hey, uh, because what he did is he posted chapters from his book on his website. So I just asked him, non-confrontationally, just, hey, are those chapter samples from your book? Basic question. And I never got any kind of reply. I was never able to, to get him to reply to anything. So eventually I did have to put into this book and on my website that it is in fact straight up plagiarism that he engaged in and his, his uh, book, uh, Genesis Six Giants, which is a gigantically popular book. And it does happen that many of the chapters in there are just straight up plagiarized. But now, okay, so that's an ethical issue right there. Uh, but does that mean that he's mistaken in his view or the views of the guy he was uh, plagiarizing? Well, yes, there's that too. Well, it definitely has some unique uh, and very erroneous views. I'll give you just a little sample. 
So he claims that angels are spirit beings who came to earth. They possessed animals, all kinds, from sea life to birds, everything. They went through the evolutionary process until they became human and that are humanoid. And that's how they were able to engage in this Genesis 6 affair and mate with human women. I mean, that doesn't work on so many levels, not logically, no theologically, not biologically. It just doesn't work on any conceivable level, but that's the kind of stuff that he's teaching. Right. So he's out there teaching that stuff. I mean, and he's not, I mean, I, I don't think, I mean, just like your book shows in his title, you can't really, uh, I mean, you can, but he's one of a group of people having this theme, uh, their skiba and things like that. So, and so you can now what, go ahead. Now, what, what would be interesting is if people go to all these pop researchers and when they start teaching about how Nephilim and Og were giants, don't bring my name up. Just say, hey, Gary Wayne claims that we don't know how tall they were. Now, that would be really interesting. Because then it's kind of like when Paul was in, the, the Apostle Paul was being questioned, and he discerned that some of the rabbis were Pharisees and some were Sadducees. So he kind of threw a bomb in the middle of them and had them fight it out. It's like, yeah, I don't have anything to do with this. Just tell them, hey, Gary Wayne's the one claiming that we don't know how tall they were. So now you pop researchers can fight that out. Just an idea. No, I mean, it's, it'd be interesting to see see them fight amongst themselves or at least, you know, have a debate amongst themselves. But yes. uh, I think that's a very dicey proposition within Christianity is to ruffle feathers with uh, other Christians. So I think a lot of people are hesitant might be hesitant about yeah. doing that, I would say. Myself yeah, included, okay. myself included. And there's kind of like this team kind of spirit within Christianity is like, you don't want to insult them because he's part of the brotherhood. And, you know, we don't, yeah. we don't, we're not as um, hair splitters about theology, which we should be, I mean, about uh, proper doctrines, I think, well, yeah, of especially for a seasoned Christian, it's vitally important. I mean, for some people, I mean, knowledgeable Christians, there's not as much of an excuse as opposed to a milk-drinking one. But uh, Now, now, if uh, you recall, um, if I screen share, would you be able to yeah. hear a or you video? Can, uh, you can, can you send me a link? Yes. Because then I'll, show, I'll pull it. Can you put it in the chat? Or I will. Chat? And I'm only doing this just to show that uh, to what level Gary took it and my reaction, which was like, oh, no, there's no need to go there. And then one of his fans emailed me basically saying the same thing that Gary said during this clip, which is that I'm denying the Bible. Oh, wow. That's pretty. That's yeah, pretty listen carefully to what Gary says. Let me see if I can get the volume up here. And watch Jack's face, by the way. Watch Jack's face. That's why... <laughs> Okay, you ready? I'm going to turn it on. It's one thing to dismiss the idea, but and you have the choice to not accept what it says in the Bible. I get that. That's I'm not here to argue beliefs. Oh, that is an absolutely unpopular statement. That, that's not the least bit helpful. We're sharpening iron with iron. We agreed about that ahead of time. It's one thing to dismiss the idea, but 
And you have the choice to not accept what it says in the Bible. I get that. That's I'm not here to argue beliefs. Oh, that is an absolutely uncalled for statement. That, that's not the least bit helpful. We're sharpening iron with iron. We agreed about that ahead of time. It's wonderful. So my issue was that he got to the point where he's telling me I'm not accepting what it says in the Bible. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, no, no, no. This was I'm not accepting uh, what Gary is saying. I'm or, or his misunderstanding of the KJB, but that, that I'm not accepting what the Bible says. Uh, I try not. No, no, that, that was just like I said, uncalled for. That was just uh, way beyond uh, the fact that we were supposed to be having a, <laughs> a civil agreement. And then one of um, Gary's fans wrote, emailed me to tell me that I doubt the word of God. Again, um, no, no. How could you come to that conclusion when I'm the one that was constantly demanding that we look at the text and we understand it right. and we discuss it to uh, understand exactly what it's telling to us? Uh, exegesis rather than eisegesis. I mean, that's just bottom basic uh, hermeneutics 101. So that was pretty stunning and disappointing. Yeah, it really, it really is. Uh, the 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 podcast you on, I've been on with Jack Allen too. It's conspiracy or just a coincidence? But Jack Allen, that's his proprietor. But he oh, goes that's by why he spells it J J A C. That's why. Just a coincidence. Uh, I think okay. His website, yeah, yeah. you can check it out too. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, and I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot there. I want to go back and listen to Gary Wayne and see what he said on uh, Tinfoil. You know, that podcast is huge. It's a huge podcast. They have a I think they're in like the top, not one percent, but like top, you know, point zero one percent of all podcasts in the world. So they're a big audience. If you notice, by the way, you see how I'm wearing uh, a blue tank top, and Jack is wearing a blue tank top. That's because Jack has this thing about tank tops. I don't know what it is, but I knew that coming in, and so I'm like, okay, I'm going to wear the tank top just to <laughs> just to match Jack. And now I would wonder, it'd be interesting to write to Gary and say, why didn't you post this debate on your YouTube channel? It's you debating, right? Why, why not share it? And I'm not alleging anything. I'm not in, um, inferring anything. I'm just, that's just a question. No, that is an interesting question because most people go into a debate thinking they're going to win, right? Or they wouldn't call it, a, they wouldn't debate. They would think that they're going to win. So why is he not putting it on there is probably a good question. But I do think, like, I think that uh, either his producer or something, a tinfoil hat, is is farming uh, guests from my show because they had uh. Cole Rejects, <laughs> Cole Rejects, then they had you, and then they had Derek Bros, who I talked to about Epstein. Before the Epstein story broke, I kind of tracked him down and harassed him into coming onto my show. But he was on just uh, just after you, I think. So I don't care. I think it's great. Good for them. Cult rejects are really interesting. They're doing a lot of great research. Well, they need to uh, give you a little cut of the loot, huh? Yeah, you know, something, something, something. Send Guido to break some pinkies over there, you know? Come on. They've had, you know what? They've had me on twice, and so I can't complain. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, when I was it's on, I was, yeah, I think it was, I think it's fair. I mean, it doesn't, yeah, it's all good. It's all good. They were really polite to me. Um, yeah, Derek Bros is a good guy, still doing great research different sensibility, but he was doing some of the early stuff on Epstein. He was actually did a video 
out front of Ep out in front of Epstein's Palm Beach house. Like, what's going on here? Who is this person? Really, before the story broke, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I posted some stuff. If you guys want to check out my Patreon page, I posted. There was just uh, Mike Cernovich was on um, with Tim Pool, and uh, there's some interesting research about him too. I got that. Well, a lot of my like secret inside stuff is on my Patreon page. If you want to check that out, <laughs> that's where I kind I of that. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> I noticed in a lot of your interviews, you end up telling the person you're interviewing, I'll tell you about that off the air. <laughs> I got a lot to tell you about off the air. I was going to mention my Tom Horn story. <laughs> oh, okay. Then, I'll stand we'll by talk about that there. Maybe I'll go post it on Patreon. What's that? Yeah, I'll stand by when we're done recording. Dude, I'll tell you. I'll, uh, I've, I've, I've hesitated telling you before, but I will tell Jeez. you. I will tell you. Off right. uh, <laughs> um. Anyway, what kind of guy kind of took it off? Uh, well, I would just say this. Okay, so it's easy for me to sit here uh, after the fact and have my say about Gary. I'll just say this much. He's obviously well researched. There's just no question about that. Uh, he knows not only the biblical material, but the apocryphal material and the pseudopigraphical material and the mythical material from various cultures around the planet. He's very well knowledgeable about all of that stuff. There's no question about it. And if he could just clean up a few of the fundamental errors, he'd be a force to be reckoned with, truly would be. So the problem that I'm seeing right now is, remember we talked about a keyword-based theology? What the, but what-based theology? Keyword-based theology. Right, a keyword, right. So I mentioned that during the, the debate, which is that's one of Gary's errors. He'll go to, let, let's say, the way I would do it is uh, blueletterbible.org. You look up a keyword, you see every verse in the Bible in which it appears, and then you just string them together into a narrative, regardless of the context from whence they came. And that's just illegitimate. Um, and so my issue is... Partly that, that he'll come up with these narratives just based on chasing a word around, like the people who chase the English word giant around the Hebrew Bible. That also doesn't work. Uh, and then my issue with girl going what I would call cross-cultural. So let's say that we're talking about Nephilim in the Bible, and then we start plugging them in to whatever it is, Norse mythology or Central American mythology or mythology from wherever it might be. I don't doubt that we could possibly do that, but my concern is when you go cross-cultural like that, there's a tendency to water everything down so that it makes it easier to connect things. And so you can come up with a fascinating narrative that seems to plug all these together, but there is that tendency to do that based on watering things down, or in this case, Referring to Nephilim as giants, even though you admit that you don't know how tall they were, but you're going to keep calling them giants anyway. So now you can go to Norse mythology and plug them into, quote unquote, giants over there. Right. So right. you see how it works. Right. And, but if you're not aware, if, if you're not really dissecting this stuff at a minute degree of uh, detail, then you can see how it's easy to just kind of absorb it. You know, you're listening to somebody who knows his stuff. And wow, it's really en engaging. It's 
it's really easy to to kind of be uh, taken by the narrative. And so one thing that I should point out, and this I believe is actually accurate. So there, it is a fact that the, these various cultures around the planet in the most ancient accounts that they have, they do hold to some version of an original garden where life was created and then a flood, which only a few people survived. And then uh, aliens or, or angels or gods mating with human women, creating hybrids. Yeah. And so to me, that would be because at, before the Tower of Babel event, humanity lived in relative proximity, right? After the Tower of Babel event, humanity spread out across the earth. Well, they would have taken with them what was then just shared and commonly known history. But with time and usage and retelling and augmentation, that's what came to be called myth and legend. So that's why you have these basic elements that are all shared, even though each culture ended up just doing whatever they wanted with them in terms of making it their own. Right. And there's there. I think there's like 28 different flood narratives all over from all over the world. of A great flood. I believe so there's uh from what I recall, there's around 300. 300, okay. Well, you might have a better source than me. I'd like to check that out. Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think also one of the interest, the thing about the pop kind of theology is it kind of takes away from the New Testament narrative, kind of the central element of Christ. So it's almost like you're putting in this kind of mythologized uh, sci-fi theology that is is a distraction from the centrality i think of really the bible i mean from a christian perspective the bible which is the birth divinity and death of christ and the teachings that left after for the left and then that paul talked about in peter so i think that there's a there's a t ear tickle that is it's it's unhealthy i think it's unsubstantive too i think so i would i think that in my regard i that's kind of was my kind of skeezy kind of hesitation from really ever getting into those, that kind yeah. of uh, non-biblical mythology. Right. not a fan of it. Yeah. Now, someone is uh, making an interesting point. Do you mind if I do, yeah, a, please go. Min yeah, please. Yeah. do a miniature Bible study? <laughs> do it. So uh, Sarah Connor is saying, <laughs> I know they use that scripture a lot. They were on the earth before and after the flood. Okay. Now, here's what's interesting. You will hear people refer to it exactly that way. But you know what? There is no scripture that says that Nephilim were here before and after the flood. That's the way it's put when you're trying to sell a narrative. What it states, and here in Genesis 6-4, is there were Nephilim on the earth in those days and also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and bare children to them. See, it, it says nothing about the flood in that verse. That's just being inserted by the pop researchers. And in fact, the, that's verse 4. The flood isn't mentioned for the very first time until a full 13 verses later. Verse 17. But then, okay, what does it mean? They were in the earth in those days and also after that. See, when your mindset is to go with this narrative, then after that has to be after the flood. But let's see what the text itself is telling us to understand, because the text tells us exactly 
what it's referring. So they were in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bear children to them. So those days were when the sons of God did that, right? Uh, so the question is, well, when was that? Well, verse 1 told us, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair and took them wives from all which they chose. So then the question becomes, well, when was that? Well, I have no idea. I mean, it might have been as early as when Adam and Eve's children started having children. But the point is, that's those days when they initially did that. And so when is after that? That's after they first did that. That's it. It means they did it and they kept doing it. But the, that was all pre-flood. We have uh, five statements in the Bible that affirm that only Noah, his family, and some animals survived the flood. So that's it. They, they did it initially, and they kept doing it, but the flood brought it all to a complete and final end. And if you say, well, okay, they didn't survive, but they made it through genetically, or they returned. Well, guess what? Those are also things that are unbiblical. And on top of it, if you are of the mindset of claiming that the flood was about God ridding himself or the world of Nephilim, and then you also claim post-flood Nephilim, you're implying that God failed. What, he couldn't get the job done? Really? Like they found a loophole he missed? I trow not. Right. I mean, that's, that's really the problem. It's pretty clear. I mean, I don't think there's a lot of... Uh you know, uh, confusion. Uh, there seems to be confusion, but there doesn't seem to be any unclear thing in the biblical text about that. So, um, you have somebody here, I was interested in reading your books. Where's the best place to get your books, Ken? Well, now, of course, my books are available on places like Amazon, but it's always better to buy from independent authors like William Ramsey. You contact us directly. And that's the best way because then that's better for us. And then we're able to cut you a deal on the price. And I'll definitely cut your audience a deal on the price. Just go to truefreethinker.com, all one word, and everything's just user-friendly and obvious. Right there. And you have kind of a mailing list, too, because I get your mailings, too. And uh, so I suggest people go there, truefreethinker.com. I'll put it in the show notes. Sign up for the mailing list, too, because you can kind of – Thank you. Like I'd like to see what you're up to, so I get these yeah. mailing lists and see who would like. I the scary Wayne interview popped up. All well, remember, stuff. remember what I told you about that because it's just a subscription to the website. So whenever I post something, you get an email. That's it. Uh, but what remember I told you that when I get spam, uh, when I get spam through email or through my website, I always take the spammer's email address and I forcefully subscribe them to my website. Nice. That's good. That's bang, you know. <laughs> we can get some of your info. That's great. Great conversation. Thanks so much for uh, returning, Ken. And Thank you, kind of we covered the Genesis eight and the, your debate with uh, Gary Wayne and a little bit of a uh, little bit of tinfoil hat too. So appreciate it. God bless you all. all right, God bless. All right, stay there.